Hi there, my name is Gavin. I'm one of the leaders here at Jubilee Church Teesside and I get the pleasure of speaking to you guys this morning as we continue our Frontline Sermon Series. So today, because it's Mother's Day, I'm going to do a little talk about families and being Frontline Families. But as I was planning this talk, I really felt God lead me to speak directly about family in the Bible and almost paint a bit of a biblical picture of what God's plan for family is. So this morning's going to be a little bit different. We're going to have almost two talks, all right, short ones, don't worry. We're going to have two talks, one which is a blueprint of family, have a little break in the middle, and we're going to have a second talk, which is how you can reach out to those within your family, those who are closest to you. Okay, so I just want the first part of this morning to be a real reminder about God's plan for families and what God had in mind when it came to designing families. See, as I was thinking about this, and what you've got to remember, by the way, is that I'm classed as a millennial. That's a generation that I belong to. And um, although I'm towards the end of that generation, probably closer to being a, a Gen Z, like my wife Hayley, I'm just four years from being a, a Gen Z. So my worldview and the way that I see things and my opinions are shaped by the generation that I belong to, just like most people's are shaped by the generation that they belong to. And when it comes to the topic of family and family values, I've got to say that is something which my generation has got a pretty low view of, if I'm honest. Like I might be generalising here, of course there are always exceptions to the rules, but generally what we see with my generation is that the idea of family is often laughed at or put down. We're encouraged to move away from home as soon as possible to gain independence. We're encouraged to be free thinkers and not feel that we've got to follow the examples of our parents. We've grown up as a first generation really to have divorce as not the exception, but the norm. If you look at the TV programmes that we watch and the things that we see in the media, the idea of family is often laughed at, mocked and made to be something which is less than desirable. I mean, think about some of the programmes that we watch. Think about things like Modern Family or The Simpsons or even Peppa Pig, for goodness sake. The, the, the dad is painted as some sort of idiot to be laughed at and the mum is some sort of strict rule keeper that stops you from having fun and the whole idea of family is seen as something to laugh at. So in my thinking and from my worldview, family is actually pretty low on the agenda. And that doesn't even begin to take into account my own experience of family, which I may talk about a little bit later. So as I was studying and planning for this talk this morning, um, I just felt convicted. Like, I was like, surely, God, your plan for family has to be better than this idea that I've got in my head. Surely, God, you've got a better plan for families than this. And you'll be pleased to know that he does. And that's what I want to look at this morning. Because if you open your Bible, what is as clear as anything is that God has set up history with family in mind. God has set up history with family in mind. God's intention is for people not to live alone. In fact, we see in Genesis, pretty soon after making the first man, God realises that it's not good for him to be alone and makes another. We're made for community. 
We're made to be together. We're made for family. We see that God himself replicates himself through families. Ephesians 3.15 says that God is the father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Family and community is God's very expression of himself given to us. Think about it. We get it with God, don't we? God in three parts, father, son and Holy Spirit modelling this to us perfectly. And so right from the start of history, we see this idea of man leaving home, leaving his nuclear family and joining a new family. We see God loves family. Think about Jesus. Jesus came to earth and what did he do? He lived as part of a family. He had brothers and he had mother and father. Jesus grew up in a community as part of a family. And when he left home, when he started his ministry, he got himself a new family with his disciples. He got himself a new community. Fascinatingly as well, Luke 1, we see the birth of John the Baptist foretold. John the Baptist, by the way, is the one who's going to prepare people's hearts for Jesus. He was coming to make the way for Jesus. And um, when he's been prophesied about in Luke 1, what is one of the things that says he's going to do? check this out it says that he will turn the hearts of parents towards their children in other words he will restore families as a way of preparing people for jesus it's fascinating we almost see a sense of family being god's reward for us as well like a gift from god psalm 128 really talks about that it's like family being a blessing for a man who fears god God wants to give us family. A lot of Jesus' parables focus on families as well as a way of him telling us about God's kingdom. He focuses on family to do that. Like it's difficult to argue that um, family isn't part of God's design for humanity. I think that's really clear in the Bible. Somehow, though, in our culture, and interestingly, by the way, a lot of our Middle Eastern listeners here may well be left a little bit confused by what I'm saying here about family losing their place in society, because I think this is really a Western problem. Um, So please forgive me if this doesn't quite translate, because I think the Middle Eastern um, guys have got family almost correct in their thinking. It's the central way that it should be. But I think for us in the West, we've made family almost this consumer idea of something that we subscribe to or buy into if we like our experience of it. Like, I've had a great upbringing. I love my family, so I'm going to start my own family. I'm going to model what I've already seen. Or my family wasn't good. I didn't have a good experience, so family's not for me. I'm not getting involved in that. I'm going to go independent now. I don't want anything to do with family. It's the sort of idea that we've created. Now, you might be listening to this, by the way, thinking that family is just husbands, wives, kids, and brothers and sisters. And if you don't or can't have those things, then you're not included. And if you are thinking that, that's exactly why I've done this talk. That's exactly why I'm painting this biblical picture of family. Because the Bible has an awful lot more to say about family than just nuclear family. Family is not just blood relatives. The Bible is so clear about that. And that is why I feel it's such an important subject to cover. 
I've seen this demonstrated massively in my life. And um, personally, I spent four years living with this amazing family in Darlington before I got married. There was three of us guys lodging with this incredible couple who demonstrated what it means to model family, sacrificially. Like we ate together and prayed together and laughed together and cried together and lived in each other's lives. Um, almost like the closest of families, anything you'd expect to see from the closest of families. But of course, we weren't related. During the Bible, we see church described as a family being joined together with other believers. Obviously, I've already mentioned Jesus, haven't I, and his disciples. We see it clearly, don't we? Um, there's a story in one of the Gospels of Jesus just doing Jesus things, hanging out with people, and someone shouts, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus is like, who's my brother? Who's my brother? Who's my mother? Like, these guys here, my disciples, these guys are my family too. And I love that because what it says is that family is much bigger than nuclear family. It's much bigger than bloodline. It stretches to community. It stretches to our friends. It all comes down to this idea that we all need to be around other people. In fact, we see it clearly written in Psalm 68. It says, God places the lonely in families. And I love that. I love that because God's plan is for families. He places people in families. He places people in communities, not just nuclear families. So when I use this word family, when I describe family in this talk, please know that I'm speaking about it in a broader sense of the word. I wonder what your experience of family is like. How do you feel about being together with others? Is it something that you feel excited about and passionate about? Or is it something that you shy away from? It's an interesting topic, isn't it? Look, families are complicated. I know that. Sometimes they're difficult, sometimes they're broken, but in God's grace, he restores. He brings about order. He brings hope to hopeless situations, many of which we face in family and community. And I think there's a battle here that we're facing, and it's a battle for us to recover and rediscover a biblical value on family. I've been so challenged by this lately in terms of really investing into my own family. See, the enemy wants to bring division and hurt primarily through families, especially with the world now telling us that we don't need family. It's tempting sometimes to throw in the towel and things get tough. But actually, we need to fight against that. We need to fight against that culture and stand up for families in the way God designed them. I want to speak to you this morning. If you're facing difficulties with your family, if you've had a breakdown there, if things are tough, I want to encourage you to give it to God this morning. I'm not saying that it isn't painful. I'm not even saying that it, it, it should or can be resolved. What I'm saying is that if you put God in the center of that situation and see what he will do, you may well be surprised. You don't have to face these situations on your own. Invite God in. So that's what we're going to do now. It's just going to take a couple of minutes. Hopefully I've painted a positive picture biblically of families. What I want us to do now is just to spend a few minutes praying as the family of God. If you're with your own family at home now, pray with them. 
If you're on your own, pray as part of the family. Maybe pray for your own nuclear family. Maybe pray for your community that you're um, closest to. If you're facing a difficult situation now, lift that up to God. Let's take a few minutes to just pray into this idea of families before I move us on. Brilliant. Okay, let's start the second part then. Let's talk about families for a second. Let me show you a picture of my family. This is my favourite picture of my family. And, uh, and as you can see, this paints a perfect picture of the perfect family that we have. Because as you can probably imagine, life is always like this for us, all right? The sun is always shining. We're always in a beautiful place, a beautiful location. The kids are always behaving and nicely smiling at the camera. We never get stressed or argue. The kids just sit lovingly in our arms without trying to escape. We're always well-dressed and have lovely tans. This picture is a perfect reflection of the perfect family that I have. <laughs> All right, okay. You know I'm not being serious now, don't you? You know that I'm not being serious. Like, families are difficult at times. They're challenging and they're messy, but well, that's okay because that's just a reflection of our lives. What I want to do today is just encourage you that God can, as I said earlier, can and does bring order and meaning to messy things. And that includes our families. The best way to thrive within community and within families is to put God at the forefront and allow him to make sense of it. So I just want to spend the second half of this talk really looking practically at what we can do to ensure that we're frontline people within our families. I want to look at reaching out to those who are closest to us, modelling Jesus to them, because let's be honest, you don't get more frontline than your own family, do you? Let me give you a bit of background here just to explain where I'm coming from because I've learned some important lessons through this over the years. See, both Hayley and I, my wife Hayley and I, we're both from non-Christian families. By God's grace, we both came to know him without any input at all from our um, nuclear family, from siblings or, or parents or anything like that. And collectively, you know, we've been following God for a number of years. I, I was going to add it all up, a number of years we've been following God for, um, both before getting married and then obviously afterwards as a married couple as well. We've been following God for a long time. And in that time, do you know how many members of our family have got saved? Do you know, do you know how many of them have come to follow Jesus? Zero. Not one. Not one member of either of our families have become Christians or even remotely showed any sort of interest, actually. And you know, that's the reality, but for many years, I've looked at that and felt completely disappointed. Almost as if I'd failed in my duty as a Christian. Like, surely if my own family don't want to know Jesus, then what hope have I got of preaching to anyone else, right? <laughs> but then I look at it, and I think, actually, this is probably normal. It's probably a normal experience for anyone who gets saved in a non-Christian home. It's probably a normal experience for anyone trying to reach out to someone who is close to them. Because like when I first became a Christian, I tried really hard, all right? Like, I preached the gospel in every way possible to my family. I did my testimony, I um, showed YouTube videos, I did the four points thing. I did, do you know that picture that you draw? The, the, the Jesus bridge, you know, like 90s style Jesus bridge. I did the Jesus bridge picture. 
uh, I, I share my testimony, I put on YouTube videos, I went Pentecostal preacher style on them, you know, I did everything that I could do to try and explain the gospel to them. <laughs> and you know what, I got nothing, maybe the odd p- p- nod out of politeness, but that was it. <laughs> And the fact is this, it's sometimes most difficult to reach out to those who you're closest to. In fact, it's something that Jesus himself experienced. We see it in various places in the gospel, but we see it um, in, in Mark 6, this story of Jesus teaching in a synagogue in a place where he's from. He starts sharing and the people are amazed at what he's saying. And then one of them's like, hey, hang on, isn't this just the son of that carpenter, Joseph? Like, he's nothing special. And this leads to Jesus famously saying that a prophet is without honour in his own town and amongst his own relatives. And this little quote from Jesus is something which has brought me great comfort over the years. See, those closest to you, they've seen you at your worst. They've experienced you before you were a Christian. And for many of you, even after you're saved, they'll still see the worst of you because they're very much part of your day-to-day life. They'll see your struggles and your anger and the moments that you tri- trip up. They see the worst of you, so it's any wonder that maybe they won't take you seriously or want to listen to the gospel from you. I'm just speaking truth. I'm just being harsh, I know. But the most encouraging thing I can say to you is that it's not all bad news. Because can I just say, thankfully, it's not our job to save people. It's God's, just as Chris Frost reminds us last week, it's God who does it. He uses us sometimes as his vessels to help people, but it's his Holy Spirit that leads to new life. It's not us. And that means that our job as Christians, when trying to reach the front line, it is our family and closest friends. And what we've got to do is try and model Christ as best we can, leaving them with positive experiences of Christianity in order to lead them positively in their future encounters with other Christians. That's what we've got to do. But how do we do that? Well, the Bible gives us some good advice about that, okay? Um, And one of those places is in Ephesians 5. So let's have a quick look at Ephesians 5 together. We'll just read together from verse 1 to uh, verse 10. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person as idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you're light. In the Lord, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. 
And this passage here in Ephesians is written to people in the church in Ephesus. And basically what it's doing is it's describing to them what countercultural, cross-centred living looks like. He's saying that because you've encountered Jesus, this now is how you should live. And in this little passage that we read, he starts by listing a whole load of behaviours which we should no longer live by. Things that were kind of examples of our old life, old sins and things like that. He talks about greed and slander and unholy talk and coarse joking and being immoral and all that sort of stuff. And he lists a whole load of things. And then in verse 8 is the key verse of the whole passage. He's like, but wait, wait, you were once in darkness and that's how you lived. That's how you live back there. But now, now you're in the light. Like basically you live like that before, but you don't live like that anymore. That is your old life. Now you live in your new life. Now you reflect God. Now you reflect the life and the light that you found in him. Julie, that is my biggest advice to you when it comes to reaching out to those who are closest to you. Those who may know you better than anyone else. Showcase what it means to be a follower of God. Be someone who reflects the light that you've encountered through Jesus. This may not lead your families directly to Christ, but it will certainly allow them to take your faith a whole lot more seriously. And more importantly, it'll leave them positive, ready for future encounters with other Christians. We have the opportunity to reflect Jesus and the change that he's made in our life to those who are closest to us. Of course, I'm talking about families here, but not just nuclear families, as we've said, obviously, uh, the whole community, the people that you're closest to. And what better testimony could you give than showcasing physically how different your life is now that you've experienced Jesus? Because your friends and family can't argue with that. If they see a physical change in your life, it speaks volumes, especially if they won't listen to your words. As we leave this morning, let's be encouraged that we can be people who reflect Jesus to everyone we come across, especially those who are closest to us. See, this is a a reflection of the gospel, isn't it, what I'm saying? Like, when we show that our lives are not what they once were, that speaks volumes of what Jesus does. Because by dying on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for us, knowing that our lives were filled with that darkness that Paul described in the letter. Knowing that we were selfish and angry and immoral and impure and greedy. Like, on our own, we couldn't change that lifestyle. We're pre-wired to live in that darkness. But knowing that we were powerless to change on our own, knowing that we're powerless to change on our own, Jesus took the blame and took the punishment on the cross, meaning that we no longer have to be defined by that way of living, but we, don't not, but we can walk into a new life. We no longer need to be held back, but we can live in a new way. And the results of that are huge. By accepting Jesus, we're now saying that our old life is gone and we can live differently we can live a life that reflects Christ yes we might mess up a little bit might get it wrong sometimes but we aren't defined by that way of living we're free to live differently and that's the message that we can show to our families that is what it looks like to be frontline people to those who are closest to us because there's something attractive about that to know 
that someone loved you so much that they would take the ultimate punishment for you and everything that you've done. There's something attractive about that. Like I'm, I'm nearly done, I've got like a minute left. I just wanna encourage you by just saying that you may have been praying for your family for a long time and seen nothing. I know I have. You may have spent years praying for a mother, brother, or even a partner, spouse, and you might feel like giving up. You might just feel like, I'm not getting anywhere. But my encouragement here is not to lose hope, but be persistent and have faith that God can bring restoration and hope into their lives. Just keep living a life that reflects Jesus. Just keep praying in faith. As we're encouraging Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus and know that it's him who saves, it's him who calls, and it's him, it's in him who we find our answer. Don't give up, but keep praying. Keep asking and keep demonstrating Jesus to those closest to you. And there will be a breakthrough. We'll be in faith for that. There's so much more I could have said on the subject. What about being frontline families? What about serving others through our families? What about, um, you know, serving our neighbourhoods as, as families? There's so much more I could have said. It's a really important subject. But in the end, in the end, this whole topic of family all comes back to Jesus and I want to end this morning just by fixing our eyes on him and being encouraged that he goes with us in our family situations and we don't do it on our own Lord Jesus I thank you so much that you've given us the ultimate model of family you've given us the ultimate blueprint of family God. You've shown us what it is to live together in community, God. And that's something that actually reflects you. I want to pray for all of us, God. Would you empower us to be great example to those who are closest to us, God? Help us to live lives that truly reflect the change that you've made in us, God, so that we can take that message to those who are closest to us, God. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us who are maybe feeling a little bit downhearted after years of praying for family members, God. Would you today impart a new sense of faith, God, as we fix our eyes on you? Would you give us a new sense of faith that you can cause breakthrough there? Lord, as we end this morning, we want to just fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of faith, God. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, because you're so good. Thank you so much, God. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.